if you have a Bible, get to Exodus chapter 2. I hope you're there. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in. God, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together here on this Wednesday night. Um, Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Uh, just, I remember just as I've been studying this passage, God, I'm, I'm just grateful for how you speak to us through your word, how we have access to you. Um, God, we do not have to wait for miraculous signs and wonders to uh, know you more because you've revealed the fullness of who you are in your word, and God, we're thankful for that. So I pray tonight as we uh, talk about you, as we talk about uh, Moses, and as we talk about how you revealed yourself to Moses in the burning bush, God, that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us, that our ears would hear and our eyes would see the glorious splendor of who you are, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so how many of you would say that you've wanted to be seen before by somebody? Like you've wanted to be noticed, you've wanted to be seen. Um, I think of like, you know, if I'm in like a, at like a concert and I'm trying to find somebody in the, like in, their, in the crowd, I'm like trying to get on my friend's shoulders, like, hey, we're over here, trying to get him to come over here. Um, but here's the deal. Whether you believe it or not, we all have a desire to be seen, to be noticed. We have a desire to be noticed by people. We have a desire to be noticed by, uh, you know, some girl or some guy at school. We want them to see us. I remember when I was in uh, high school, uh, I, I didn't go to school all the time, um, and I would, I would typically leave early and, like, make up some excuse to figure out a way to get home. But I would always get to uh, fourth hour Spanish class. And the reason why I would get to fourth hour Spanish class is because there's a really cute girl in fourth hour Spanish class. And I just wanted to see her See if I could get up an opportunity to talk to her, like try to wave her down, and then I would dip out and leave school. Um, and so uh, I, I just remember multiple like goofy, dumb things that I would do to try to get this girl's attention, like getting in trouble in class or trying to make a, uh, a kind of like a snide comment to the teacher or about the teacher to see if she would laugh about it and like all of these things, right? So we do goofy things to get noticed, right? And so um, just some areas that I think that we... We really see this in our own lives, like social media, right? Um, I think Instagram, trying to stage or get the perfect picture to get the most likes or to, um, you know, we would never say this, but we post something on Facebook and then we grab our phone and we check it every 10 minutes to see who liked it, to see whose attention we got, to see uh, maybe if a specific person liked it or whatever. And so we, we, we do these things to get attention from others. We also, right, like clothes. I purposely wore bright pink shoes and a bright blue shirt today because here's the deal. I wanted to see how many people would notice the fact that I had bright pink shoes on. And so many of you came up to me and said either nice shoes or why are you wearing pink shoes? Or if you're my wife, you said like, are you kidding me? You're wearing those out in public today? Like, uh, but we, we wear certain clothes to get noticed. I know, uh, you know, I used to wear a lot of like, I used to get like Nike Dunks and Jordans and Air Force Ones and try to keep them really nice and clean. Um, because I wanted people to see how nice I looked. Um, and I just have this weird infatuation for shoes and hats. I love shoes and I love hats. Anything in between, whatever. But the shoes and the hats, they got to be nice. So, um, so clothes, our appearance. But then we also try to get noticed through just general fame. We want to be known. So whether we, you know, we play sports and we want to be known for that or we get good grades and we want to be known for that or we want to be known for how funny we are or we want to be known for how good looking we are or we, want, we, we just want to be known, we want to be noticed and that's the point. And I'm willing to bet um, 
that if you're anything like me, not only do you, de- you, do you desire to be seen now, like in your teen years, but when you were a kid. Um, I remember being a kid, and do you guys ever have, like, do you parents have, like, the, the, the long list under the TV of, like, the old school home videos on, like, cassette tape, or, like, on VHS or something like that, where they had a camcorder, and they were walking around the house, and there's, like, a full video of Christmas 1999 or whatever. Um, the, f- the funny thing about that is uh, in those videos, when I was, like, four or five, you would see my parents, like, walking around the house, and then you would see me, like, dart onto the camera, like, make some funny smile, like, try to show off, and then dart off the camera, and then dart back on the camera. Uh, when, my, when my mother first met Sarah, um, I'm grateful this didn't scare her away. There's actually a video of me um, trying to get attention with a broken leg singing Backstreet Boys with, like, this, this toy arrow as a microphone. Um, and, and I just I danced. I loved it. You know, I was like a four-year-old kid, and I just I loved attention. I loved when people's eyes were on me. And so right now, I just love that you're all looking at me. I have your attention. No, I'm just kidding. But um, the reality is we all have this desire to be noticed. And there are, there are things that we will do to be noticed that maybe we're not proud of or maybe that we wouldn't communicate to others. This desire to be seen is not a bad desire. But the reality is who are you wanting to be seen by? And that's the problem. You know, I, I want my wife to know who I am. I want her to see me. I want, I, want to, I want to make her smile. I want to make her laugh. I want to do these things. But if we don't first understand that our desire to be seen and to be noticed is fulfilled in Jesus, then we're going to miss the point everywhere else in our life. God sees you and he knows you. But not only does he see you, but he knows absolutely every single thing about you. What you hate, who you hate. What you love, who you love. He knows everything. He knows what irritates you. He knows if you actually love coming here or not. He knows if you actually are a believer. He knows whether or not church is just a mask that you wear to please others or if, or if this is actually genuinely something that you're, you're, you're he, he, he knows if you're genuinely investigating who he is or he knows if you genuinely love him. God sees all of these things. God doesn't just see the things that we do. He sees the motives of our heart. And so if I stand up here and I, and, I, and I open up the Bible and I talk about the Bible and I give you guys sweet wisdom about who God is and, and what he wants from us and how he reveals himself to us and my heart is not in the right place and I'm doing it for your attention, then everything that I do up here is meaningless. Absolutely everything I do up here is meaningless if that's the, the motive behind it. And God sees that. What I want you guys to know is that God is actively involved in your life. What, here's, the th- here's the crazy thing. Whether you're a Christian or not, God is actively involved in your life. Every breath that you take is a gift given to you from God. Every time you wake up, it, if I go to sleep at night, it is no guarantee that I will wake up in the morning. It's a gift. And it's, it should, every time we have the opportunity to see the sunrise, if our hearts are in the right place, it'll lead us to thankfulness. If we're not thankful for the next day, then there's something going on in the way that we perceive or see our lives. The reality is every breath that we get is a gift. And so even if you know God or not, he's involved. If you know God, the difference is if you know God, you can see it. You have eyes to see it. God has given you eyes to see it. If you don't know God, then God has not given you eyes to see it. You don't see it. You miss it. 
And life is just this thing that just so happens to happen by chance. So God is involved in your life, and he, he is actively involved in our lives because he desires to use us to carry out his purposes, to carry out his plans. God chooses to use broken people like us to do his work here. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But this week, I just want to talk about how he's involved. That God is involved in our lives. And in Exodus chapter 2, we see it. We see it. So, uh, would somebody want to read this uh, up here? This is Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25. It's just three verses. Does anybody want to give it a shot? Go for it, Duke. All right, so this happened like 3,500, 4,000 years ago, I think. So what does this have to do with us today? What's the point? Well, the point that, that, that God is showing us as readers today in 2017 when we look back at this story is that God hears the cries of his people. God hears the cries of his people and he, he, remembers, he remembers his promise that he's made to his people, okay? And he responds to our groaning. God responds to our groaning. God hears you when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when things aren't going well for you in this life. And you lean on and cry out to God. He hears you. Now the interesting thing about this is that the Israel, Israelite people, the Hebrews, did not actively worship God. Like, the, this is how God reveals himself to the people of Israel. Because what happened is, um, so God reveals himself to this guy named Abraham. And Abraham follows God faithfully, and then he has a son, and his son's name Isaac. And he kind of passes the faith baton on to his kid, Isaac. And Isaac, Isaac follows the Lord faithfully. And Isaac has two kids, um, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob, what we know about Jacob, Jacob follows God faithfully. He's kind of messed up. Dude's a little twisted. He gets in a lot of trouble. But he follows God faithfully. God, God gives him grace. And even though he's a troublemaker, we see God sustain Jacob and keep him on the right path. And we see God do this, not Jacob. Jacob. It's not Jacob's fault that Jacob is faithful to God. It's God's. God is doing a work in Jacob. And so Jacob has 12 kids. And from Jacob's kids on, God reveals his name in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to talk about that next week when Moses is at the burning bush and he says, well, if I go to Israel and, and I tell them, like, God has, has spoken to me and, and says this. And they say, well, what's his name? What do I tell them? So God reveals his name. He says, he says I am who I am. And, and, and that, that is translated out of this, uh, this word that is written in English, Y-H-W-H. And so we, we pronounce it in, in kind of English. The English translation of it is Yahweh. Have you guys ever heard that before, that, that phrase, Yahweh, or that, that word? That is the name of God in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And so God explicitly reveals himself to Israel. Right? This isn't just like a general understanding. I remember when, uh, when I was an atheist and I didn't know God. Uh, there was a point in time where I was really little and somebody asked me, like, are you a Christian? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And the reason why I said I'm a Christian is because I, I thought that just Christians believed in some sort of God somewhere. And I didn't know what to call that God, but I was like, yeah, somebody's doing something to make this happen. Um, and this was when I was little, maybe like, maybe like 9 or 10, maybe 11 years old. I just I didn't know what to think. 
I, didn't, I wasn't born in a Christian home. Nobody gave me an explicit understanding of God. I didn't know who Christ was. I didn't know who, who God was, who Yahweh. I didn't know who that was. I just had this general, like, meh, maybe somebody's doing something. And so Israel, for 400 years, you see their presence in culture start to chip away at these descendants' understanding of God. And so they, they get this, there's, they go from, a, Abraham's descendants move from a specific understanding and a deep relationship with God to a general understanding, kind of like, we, we kind of understand who he is, to, I don't know. And that's where they're at, is they, they, they don't know. And so I want, I want you to be encouraged, because here's the deal. You might not know God, but if you cry out to him, he hears you. He hears you. So cry out to him. So you're around tables. You're around tables for a reason. I want you guys to talk about these questions. So spend about five minutes or so um, and just talk about these questions. So why do you think God responded to the Hebrews' cries for help? So they're in slavery, right? You guys remember we talked about this last week. They're in slavery in Egypt. Why do you think God responded? They cried out. Why did he respond? And then why do you think the Hebrews went to God? for help. So talk about those two questions. Take about five, ten minutes to talk about them in your groups. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right. So uh, just kind of as a, as a large group here, I'd like to hear um, you guys talk about these two, this question together. I just, I just want to hear. Let me turn my remote on here. There we go. That was super smooth. Anyway, um, so how does, our, how does our personal comfort and our dependence uh, upon God, uh, how does our personal comfort affect our dependence upon God to sustain us? So I'm gonna, I want to set this question up real quick, and then I just kind of want to talk about it as a large group here. So the Israelites are clearly suffering, right? They're going through a hard time. There's, there's a huge amounts of difficulty. I mean, these people are getting beaten. They're, they're uh, getting put to difficult work every day. They're obviously not getting paid for it. I'm sure they're not getting fed well. You know, like, like this is affecting... Um, multiple areas of their life. They're, they're faced with constant hostility. Now, in our comfortable 21st century American minds, we've convinced ourselves that if we are going through a hard time, that is evidence that God doesn't love us. Or if we're suffering, or there's difficulty in our lives, it's because God doesn't care, God doesn't love us, God is distant, God is, God is not involved. And so, what we see here, actually, is that in the midst of the Israelites' suffering, God engages them, and God works. When it says God knew at the end of verse 25, the, the, that actually means that God took notice. And so God didn't just like passively see them. He saw them and then began to execute his plan to rescue them. That's the, that's the point of that passage, what it's telling you is that God saw them in suffering and God planned to rescue them. He began to, to do something about it. And so, a lot of times we, we, we look at our, our own personal comfort and here's what happens. We think that we're okay. We think that we got this. We think that life is all, all great and we forget that it is God who upholds us. It's, it's God who keeps us living. It's God who provides for us. It's God who does this. Nobody wakes up in the morning with a full fridge and begs God to provide them with a meal for today. Right? Well, let me ask you, when, when is the last time you genuinely asked God to provide you something to eat today? 
right? We wake up with a full fridge in our house all the time. It's not a bad thing. It's not. But do you see how our comfort can kind of brush up against our dependence? Like, do we really genuinely depend on God every day if we're not asking Him to provide for our needs? If we don't see, because what we do, if we're honest, the reason why we don't pray for God to provide us food is because we see our parents as the providers of our food, not God. The reason why we don't ask God to provide us with clothes is because we see our parents as the providers of our clothes or our own wallets, if, if you know that's how you roll at your house. That's how I did. Um, and so how, how does your own personal comfort, comfort kind of push back against your dependence? How is being comfortable today in this world, not facing hostility, not in the middle of suffering, how does that cause you or uh, make you not necessarily go to God all the time? hear that cricket over there? Just kidding. Um, let, me ask you, let me ask you a different question. Would you consider your life right now that you're comfortable? That you're comfortable? That you kind of, your needs are met. You don't, you're, not, you're not hurting for anything. So now let me ask you a different question. If you're not hurting for anything, what's left for you to depend on God for? Okay, tell me more about that. What do you mean? Like, talk about it more. Why would I put God in the box and then take him out during bad times? Okay. Yeah. God is, is my, my, my fire insurance, right? Like, when I'm in trouble, that's when I'm going to go to God. Or, or when I'm hurting or when there's pain in my life, that's when I'm going to go to God. But when everything's all good, man, I don't need it. Right? And so faith doesn't necessarily become faith. Faith becomes, in, the, in that instance, faith is more about me than it is about him. Right? Because it's about my needs. And since I don't need God, I'm good. Um, and we don't realize that we actually do. And in his grace, even when we do that, he still gives us tomorrow. When he's not required to give us tomorrow. God's not obligated to give us breath or life or legs. He could take that all away from us if, we wanted, if he wanted to. But in his grace, he still gives it to us, even though we will use those things to turn against him. I just want you to think about that. Because here's the deal. God has a lot of purpose for suffering. People ask me, um, I used to uh, go into the juvenile prison in Peoria all the time and get the opportunity to talk about teenagers, about the gospel, and talk to them about faith. And uh, one of the really big questions that I would get in there, because, you know, these guys live in really rough circumstances. They're not, they're not, they don't, some of them don't have a full fridge when they get up in the morning. Life is hard for them. Uh, some of them have to resort to doing things like selling drugs because mom can't even put food on the table. And so they skip school because school's not going to provide them any income today. And they go sell drugs or do something else to make money 
so that they can provide for themselves, right? So they're, and then this ends up getting them in trouble. Now they're in jail. You find that they cry out to God a lot when, you know, when, when this happens. They're in trouble. Everybody does it. It's not, it's not something that's exclusive to them. But one of the most common questions that I would get from them is this. John, you're a Christian. Yes, I am a Christian. If God is so good, why is there evil in the world? Raise your hand if you ever thought that before. I thought it before. First time I got asked that question, I was like stumped. I was like, man, I don't know how to answer that. So I thought about it some more, and like Jesus, because Jesus is a boss, he never answers questions directly. He usually answers a question with a question. So the next time that I got asked the question, John, if God's so good, why is there evil in the world? I said this. If God didn't exist, would there be anything good in the world? Think about it. Think about how evil the world is. Think about how, 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 how much sin has killed the world. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful among all things. Who can understand it? It also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that nobody seeks God. Romans 3 gives us this long list. Basically just building a case for how wicked the heart of people is. The, heart of, the hearts of people are. We are, we are we, if we are honest with ourselves, we have evil desires in us. And Jesus, through the gospel, deals with that. God changes our hearts so that we no longer long for evil things. But because the hearts of men are so evil, apart from the existence of God, good, good could not exist in the world because we do not desire it. Any good that we actually desire any good that we want to do, right? Because there are moral people in the world, right? People who don't know Jesus who still do good things like charity or whatever. That is still God working through them to accomplish his good purposes in this world. He's just using non-Christians to do it. Anything good that happens in this world finds its origin in God. And so the fact that there is goodness that exists is evidence of God. And so God has purpose for evil. He uses evil. The presence of evil in this world magnifies God's goodness and it draws us to him. Because think about this. Would you know that God is good if evil didn't exist? If evil wasn't a thing, if everything was perfect, would you know how good God is? No. Because you would, God would have no need to extend mercy to people. God would have no need to extend grace to people because everybody would deserve his favor. And so evil's presence in this world magnifies God's goodness. It gives us the whole picture of how great and how good God is. God's mercy would not be necessary if everything was perfect because he would have no need to be merciful because everybody would be deserving of his favor. Everybody would be deserving of relationship with him. We wouldn't know what it meant for God to pursue a lost person because they wouldn't exist. And so there's an aspect of God's love that we see because evil exists, that we wouldn't see apart from evil. So the reason why I want you to think about your comfort is because you, we usually don't think, we always, we always think that if God is good, then we're going to be comfortable all the time. But we never think about how God uses our discomfort to magnify his glory and his goodness. So I just wanted to talk about that. So um, what I would love for you to do 
uh, while you're in your groups, spend some time, read the first nine verses in uh, chapter three. It's going to be the start of this burning bush story uh, between Moses and God. He's talking to God. God has appeared to him in a burning bush. So I want you guys to read uh, verses one through nine in chapter three, and I want you to wrestle this question together after you're done. How does God reveal himself to Moses? And here's a trick. We get a lot more than just a bush on fire in this passage. So there's your obvious answer. The bush is on fire. That's how God shows himself to Moses. Now, how else do you see God reveal himself to Moses in this passage? Who is your group spokesperson? Um, so we, I said something about where he revealed himself by saying that he knew all of the previous people that he said. Yeah. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Yeah. So he identified himself explicitly, like this is who I am. And the reason why that's important is how many of you guys have ever heard the term polytheism before? You probably learned it in like history class or in school. But polytheism is... Uh, religions that are polytheistic are religions that believe in many gods. So uh, a perfect example like Hinduism. In Hinduism, they believe in there are thousands of gods in Hinduism. Um, And all of the culture surrounding Moses and Egypt, they all believed in many gods. They had like a sun god, and and there was a god for the Nile River, and there was all these different gods. And so... When he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, he's actually telling Moses, this is who I am. I'm not these other gods. This is who I am. I am this God. Um, And then Exodus, the story of Exodus actually reveals how God is supreme over all of these gods that Egypt has. So of the many gods that Egypt has, God is supreme and reigns over all of them to show himself as the one true God, the one who created and the one who gives life and sustains it. So that's huge. That's super important that you saw that. What else do you guys see about this passage? We can just get one more person. We don't need everybody to talk. No, that, yeah, right. No, I, that's legitimate. There's no man, because of sin, there's no man that can stand in the presence of God and live. And you see, you see a piece of God's holiness because just his presence, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that I saw this was, so God appeared to Abraham, or God appeared to Moses in a, in, in a fire. This wasn't actually the fullness of God appearing. This was, this was, this was God appearing, but not his fullness. And basically the way, the way that I can describe that is if, um, you and me were to FaceTime, would you be able to see me and talk to me? But would I be there with you completely? No, like I would be there kind of, but not really. Um, you'd see me through a screen and things like that. So kind of like how you would, I would be able to be with you, but not with you completely through a video call or something like that. That is how God is appearing to him here. And so his, but even just a piece of God's presence makes the ground around him holy. And so Moses is required to take off his sandals. So it shows us just how holy God is, how incredible he is. So we see God's greatness there, right? Um, we see God's greatness in, in, in what you talked about, and then what you talked about we see is love, right? Because he is, God, is, God is concerned about the people of Israel. And so he tells Moses, this is who I am. 
I'm going to appear to you in this way. I'm going to kind of like rock your socks with how, how amazing I'm, this is going to be. I'm going to appear to you. And then I'm going to tell you how concerned I am for your people. So you, you see God's greatness. You see God's concern. And then finally, you see God's plan. He tells Moses everything he wants to do. My people are suffering. I'm going to do something about it. And then in verse 10, he says this. He says, therefore, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And so God reveals his plan and how he's going to fulfill that plan through Moses. So we see that God, we see that God cries out, God hears the cries of his people. We see that God reveals himself to his people. You see, God is actively involved with the lives of the Israelites because he hears their cries and he chooses to reveal himself to them. And the things that he reveals are his, his, his greatness and his concern and his plan. And God reveals these things to us as well. We see God's greatness in a transformed life. We see God's greatness in how he sustains the universe. We, we, we can go outside and we can look at mountains and we can look at the Grand Canyon and we can look at the stars and we can see the eclipse that happened a few weeks ago. And all of these things give us a greater understanding of God's greatness and his majesty and how God in his power by his word literally upholds the entire universe. God right now is keeping that chair a chair while sustaining the orbit of Pluto. Like, God is huge. He's huge. And he controls absolutely everything. He is the chief micromanager of the universe. And we can see that. So we can see God's greatness today. We can also see God's concern for us. Read the Bible. Over and over again, how God desires to draw near to his people, and yet his people are so bent on turning away from him to pursue their own thing, whatever it is. But God pursues his people, and he pursues his people, and he pursues his people, and he's revealed his concern for us completely here, and yet we miss it. We laugh at it. We act like it's not a big deal. It is a huge deal. God's concern for us is huge. Our lives are on the line. His concern for us is real. And God reveals his plan. We see God's plan play out in Scripture. God's plan to spread his kingdom over the entire earth. God desires to conquer the earth through his people, through you and through me. And so he calls us to make disciples of all nations, to spread his kingdom everywhere because God desires to conquer the earth through his people. And so we see God's plan. We see his concern. We see his greatness. He hears our cries. God is involved not just in the lives of Israelites, but in your life, in my life. And then he calls his people. He sends his people to do his work. That's the last way we see God involved in the life of Moses and the lives of the Israelites here. God is also involved in our lives. He sends us to do his work. And just like Moses having to go to Pharaoh and to the Israelites, we are called to do this work among God's enemies and among God's people. This is why following Jesus is not for the faint of heart because God sends us into hostile territory every single day to do this work among God's enemies like Pharaoh and God's people like the Israelites. Among God's enemies, people who hate God and among God's people, people who genuinely love God, genuine Christians. There are fake Christians. I don't have to name them. You know who they are. You know who they are. So God calls us to do this work. He sends us to do his work among his enemies, 
and among his people. And so let me ask you this. Why do you think God calls people? Like, why do you think God's involvement with our lives? If God is involved, why does his involvement in our lives push us to be involved in the lives of other people? Why do you think that? Because just like Moses, God is sending you to proclaim the good news of his rescue from sin. Just like God sent Moses to proclaim the rescue of the Israelites. God is sending you. So why does knowing God and having him involved with your life compel you or should compel you to be involved in the lives of others? talk about this one as a big group. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I love that. What you, just, what you just did is you just, you just compared our joy, the things that we enjoy, with the things that we talk about. And then you said, well, if I'm, if I'm genuinely enjoying God, well, I'm going to talk about him, right? Because if I go see a movie, and I loved it, and I'm like, Luca, I went and saw this movie this past weekend. You need to go see it. Why am I sharing that with you? Well, I'm sharing that with you because I love this movie, and I want you to see it because it's awesome. Or if I'm like, Luca, these pink converses are comfortable. I want you to wear them. I enjoy wearing pink converses. I want you to share in my joy. And so I'm just naturally going to talk about it. It's not something that I have to force, right? When you see a good movie, you're not like, you don't have to force that out. And so if we have to force out our conversations about faith, do we actually enjoy our faith? The answer is no, we don't. And that is a difficult truth to be confronted with. That if we don't enjoy talking about Jesus, then we're actually not enjoying Jesus. Because that's the point. The point is not to do a bunch of sweet things for God. That's not the point. A Christian life is very simple. It is this. Know God. And enjoy God. That's it. Now that comes out in a lot of ways, right? If I know about football and I enjoy football, that's going to show up in my life in different ways, right? If I know chemistry, shout out to you. If I know chemistry and I love chemistry, well, it's going to come out in a certain way. I was totally talking to you, Jake, because you just have a deep love and joy for chemistry like I do. I can't stand chemistry. It's okay. But I love people who do because we need people who do. But... um, But if you have a genuine love, whatever it is, if you have a genuine love for it, it's going to show up in your life a certain way. It's going to show up in your life a certain way. What came first? Your love for chemistry or actually doing chemistry? Doing chemistry, why? Sparks the interest. We know God through his involvement in our lives. We don't, we don't try to will ourselves to, to love God. God. God has to be involved. We can't, you can't love chemistry apart from actually doing it. 
Just like you cannot love God apart from actually following him. It is in the following that our hearts are stirred with love for God and a desire to know him and an enjoyment of him. Here's the deal. You're not alone. You're not alone. I know, I know sometimes it might feel like you're alone. And the reason why I know that is because sometimes I feel like I'm alone. You're not alone. There are people who love you and care about you. But even more than that, if you're a Christ follower in here and you go into school armed and ready to do this work, you're not alone. I don't know why. I don't know why. It is, if there is one thing that I can do while I live in this community, it is to see you, Christ follower, in school, get together with you, other Christ follower, in school to do the work of God. I don't know why you guys isolate yourselves and put yourself on little islands in school and try to do this thing on your own. And I don't know why when you get together there's only one or two of you. Because there's a lot of you. You come here every week. And so if there's anything that I can do while I'm here, while I have breath, it's to see the believers in Christ in this community united for the work of God in this community. I want to see that. You are not alone. There are other people here who want to follow Jesus and want to help you follow Jesus. And the reality is you are incapable of following Jesus apart from other people who are. It's impossible. And you know this if you've tried this on your own. It's impossible. That's why we do this every week. This isn't the entirety of your relationship with God coming to hype. It shouldn't be. But this is an opportunity for you to get around other people, to be in community, to be around one another, to help one another, to shape one another, learn from one another, to challenge one another. Like if I'm messing up and I'm a Christian and I'm in sin, I need you to call me on it because I might not see it. I might miss it. I might be doing something completely hypocritical and not know because my heart is evil. My heart is hard. My heart is bent on doing things that are about me. And so I need other believers to call me on it because God uses his people to do so. That's why we come here. That's why we do this. And more than any of that, you are not alone because God goes before you and he is involved. And he has revealed himself to you. He has. It's right here. And I know I do this all the time and I talk about how important the Bible is. And I know, I know for some of you in here it is like a textbook. And if the Bible is like a textbook to you, let's chat. I want to talk through that with you. I want to help you fall in love with the God of Scripture. I want, to, I want to help you with that. That's why I'm here. That's why the leaders are here. Moses got a piece, a slice in the burning bush of what we have in the full revealed will of God in the Bible. God had to identify himself to Moses. God's already identified himself to us. And we hold it in our hand every day. We throw it on our bookshelf, it collects dust, whatever, and we ignore it. Oh, it's just a book. And we think that some supernatural sign is going to help us be more devoted to God. But the reality is, is the Israelites, and we'll see this later, they saw an entire sea split in half, walked right through it, and then complained about leaving Egypt just a few days later. It's not a sign that will draw you near to God. It is God who will draw you near to him. 
And today he chooses to do it through this and through this. And that's incredible. Don't miss it. You're not alone. You are seen, you are loved, and you are cared for. Not just by us and by the people here. but You are cared for by a God who loves you. So my question to you tonight is this. God is sending you. Will you go? Will you go? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. God, thank you for um, the book of Exodus and how we get to see your faithfulness on display through the life of Moses and through this amazing rescue of your people in Israel. God, I pray that as we continue to uh, unfold the chapters of this book and look into this story, God, that you would challenge us, that you would, you would show us how this applies to our lives today. How, how can we live this out? How can we come to know you more as a result of the things that have happened in your scriptures? How can we love you and enjoy you as a result of the things that we're seeing here? God, I pray that you would do a supernatural work in the hearts of students in here, that they would grow in their fire and their love and their joy in you. God, that we would see hearts and lives transformed um, because you are doing a good work here. And God, I pray that uh, as believers in here, we would be faithful to proclaim the good news of your gospel to all people. In Jesus' name, amen.